Hello and welcome to Access Chat. We have a completely full house today, so um, what can I say? Uh, I don't think we've actually ever had quite so many people on one on one chat before, so welcome to David, Jeremy, Jeff and Cyan. Um, we're delighted Hi. to have you with us and to tell us about your work on accessible images. And this is really um, exciting, um, but also seemingly a bit of a theme coming on because last week we were doing accessible SVGs. And, and so um, it's obviously we're having a moment here in terms of accessibility and images. So David, maybe if, if you want to start and tell us a bit about project and then lead on to Jeremy and Jeff and, and Cyan so that you can take us through what it is that you're doing, because I think it's really... And also, Neil, uh, I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt as I just did, but may, could we just take like real two minutes for each of them to introduce themselves? Absolutely. Sorry. Yes. I know I'm so rude, but you know, it, it, but just so that y'all can introduce yourself quickly, and then we can get into it. And we're excited about the topic, but well, no, that's yeah. quite all right. Maybe the King's English didn't actually um, translate because that's exactly what. Very I was good, using. very I'm, good. I love how you. And I'm wearing that. Yes. Good job. <laughs> Great. Great. Well, well. Good morning. Uh, at least in, in Vancouver here. Um, I, I founded, uh, along with the Canadian Council of the Blind, uh, a community contribution company called Gateway Navigation, uh, CCCLTD, about five years ago to really try to address some of the accessibility issues around both access to the built environment, which then also led to this project, which is about access to the internet. And um, the project here, which uh, we've been collaborating with McGill University and the Shared Reality Lab is called IMAGE, which stands for um, Internet Multimodal Access to Graphical Exploration. And uh, with that, I will pass it on to Jeremy for his introduction. I'm always impressed that David actually remembers the acronym uh, for credit. He's the one who came up with it, and, and we, we love it. So uh, thanks to David getting in touch with us uh, many years back and talking about some of the issues faced by the blind and low vision community. Uh, we steered our discussion towards Internet access, as David mentioned, and in particular graphics. So those with screen readers have access to all the text on web pages, but when you encounter an image, whether it be a photograph, a map, a chart, a line drawing, or so forth, um, you're generally limited unless the uh, person who has created that page has put in effective alt text that describes what's there. And we set out to say, well, let's try to remedy the problem where a user is accessing a web page and they don't get any description of that content. And we've been working for the last roughly a year and a half uh, using a variety of tools and technologies to try to interpret the contents of those graphics and render them through either a rich audio description that isn't just words, spoken words, but actually uses uh, audio cues, so non-speech audio and representing things in a spatial audio manner so you hear directionality and also optionally 
uh, rendering information through tactile displays, through the sense of touch. And right now we've been working with two different technologies to do that, one being the dot pad, the refreshable uh, pin array, and the second being a lower cost, more consumer affordable technology uh, out of Montreal, which is called the Haply 2DIY. It's a two-link planar robot arm sort of system that can uh, track your position where you're moving about your finger and it can exert force feedback. And we're working with the company to try to render that as an effective interface so that you can experience graphics both with sound and touch. And uh, we have with us two members of our team here, Jeff Blum, who's the project manager who deals with all things technical, and Cyan Kuo, who's our usability expert and user-facing engineer, dealing with all of the testing and understanding of uh, the user experience. And thank you for inviting us to participate today. It's a pleasure for us to speak with you. Jeff, please tell us a little bit about you and your experience on, on this project. Sure. So I'm Jeff Blum, as Jeremy uh, mentioned, I'm technical project manager. So one of the things that I like to point out in, in addition to what David and Jeremy have already pointed out is that uh, image is designed to be open source. And so we work in the public and anyone who wants to use our tools or expand upon them, they can do that um, because they can get all of our source code and use it. Um, and in addition, we've created something that we view as a platform. So we know that our research group, uh, it's a relatively small group, is not going to be able to do every type of graphic on the entire internet. That's just too large a task. And so we've seen a lot of research projects kind of spin up and handle one particular type of, of graphic, and they run some user tests, and then they write a paper, and then it disappears. So the other element of image that interests me the most is really that it's a platform where it's very modular. And so if you're a researcher and you want to extract information related to product photos or jewelry or memes or any number of, of other types of graphics, you can create a module that plugs into our architecture uh, to do just that particular piece. And you get access to all of the tools for the audio spatialization for talking to the haptic devices, and you can sit on top of that. So we view it as an ongoing platform as a basis for this type of research and deployment to the community. Okay, that that sounds really interesting. I'll probably want to come back to that, but let's let's first do the round table and get to to Cyan. Uh, okay. Uh, hi, I'm Cyan. I'm the uh, I guess I'm the usability expert here um, uh, with the uh, with the image project. Um, and I'd like to add on to what uh, Jeff was saying um, that we have a lot of uh, we're, right now we're doing a lot of user research and we're trying to make sure that, you know, um, that everything's accessible to uh, to our intended audience. But uh, even further, uh, further than that, uh, we're currently talking about uh, expanding, um, expanding the tools so that they can be used um, so that the uh, we can create content. Um, specifically uh, so that uh, people who are blind and low vision can create content that works in the image architecture. Because I think the, the, the idea is that we, uh, for the most part, the, um, the lab is a bunch of uh, sighted people and uh, we want to give that power back to people who, uh, you know, are experienced vision loss. Excellent. Thank you. So, so there's a couple of things that really sort of piqued my interest. One is, you know, um, I think the open source bit is important. Now I understand the connection with Mike uh, because Mike Gifford from Open, you know, 
has been a big advocate of open source accessibility for a long time. Um, but also the the intention to make sure that it is something that's sustainable and scalable, I think is really interesting to me. But the second bit that I've been fascinated with the potential of for an awful long time is haptics. Re I'm really interested in haptics and particularly um, some of the sort of emergent technologies like mid-air haptics and ultrasonic arrays. You know, are, are you working with that yet? Um, because that's an area that, that I think has, you know, enormous potential long-term for being able to enable people to engage with all kinds of things um, in a really sort of quite deep way. So we have not uh, done any work with the ultra haptics technology or other ultrasonic haptics, but I, I agree with you. It is very compelling and being able to manipulate or, or interact in a, in a volumetric uh, environment uh, is compelling. I think the technology is, is still obviously developing to reach a point where it's strong enough and compelling enough to render those mm -hmm. kinds of experiences. But for our needs, um, although we have dabbled in discussion with the idea of, well, images often are expressing depth, right? You have a scenery, uh, a picture of, of scenery where there's obviously foreground and background. Perhaps it would help in conveying understanding if you experience that with depth. But by and large, we are talking about two-dimensional content in a web page and therefore rendering that with a two-dimensional haptic reproduction system or something where you're experiencing it in a plane and then have either raised pins or your experience in mm -hmm. courses is probably adequate. Uh, but we would certainly be uh, uh, keen to uh, have the ability for uh, plugins, as Jeff mentioned, like if somebody wants to build uh, a ultrasonic uh, plugin to, to our uh, architecture to render haptics through whatever hardware, um, our, our software platform should hopefully support that. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think it's, maybe still early days if you think about the sort of Gartner hype curve it's probably on the hype part you know the height of the hype curve and we'll go through that trough of disillusionment before uh, before too long but but I still am hyped about it and I still do see you know enormous potential and actually the technology is relatively affordable and so I wonder how much of that might get embedded into mainstream devices, like we've seen with LiDAR and, and mobile, mm -hmm. mobile phones. Right. So, Once a mobile phone manufacturer says, we're adding haptics, it becomes widespread. And that's... Well, so haptics are there, but not, you know, but not to, you know, so, so I remember going to an RNIB conference, what, 15 years ago. And, and, and they were talking about haptic feedback in mobile phones then. And, and you know, if you think about what happens on, on an iPhone these days, you know, you've got the haptics on, on the device because there, there are so few buttons. It's all virtual. It's all the illusion of touch that, that you get there rather than the, the actual pressing of buttons and everything else. So I think that, that, that maybe, uh, but even so, and I will stop monopolizing the conversation on haptics in a second. Even with something like a, a mobile phone, if you're saying that you only need two-dimensional, could you convey the information that you're collecting on your project? Because a lot of people use their mobiles 
a lot of blind users use their mobiles. Could you use your project and feed those haptics through a mobile device? Jeff, do you want to, this is really your, your neck of the woods. Sure. So just to be very clear, unfortunately, Image does not currently work on mobile devices. So I'll get that right out there. It's a browser extension that currently works on, on laptop or desktop browsers like Chrome and Firefox and such. Um, but we obviously have our eye on iOS, right? It, we yeah. hear it again and again that this is the primary interface that many people use to access yeah. access content. So fortunately, um, Apple has made... Um, their browser extensions available in Safari, um, also on iOS. This is uh, late last year. And so yep. we are exploring that now in order to extend there. And obviously the experience is gonna have to be somewhat different on the mobile device. It just works differently. So for example, we use a context menu so that you can tell us this is the photograph that I'm interested in. That's not gonna work on a mobile. So we have um, a project starting up um, with some students, um, hopefully very soon to create that mobile experience, both from the design side of how does it have to work differently as well as um, just the platform work to get it to work with that extension. And one of the key things there is uh, the haptic engine on the Apple device is super good. So one of the original things we had considered is can we use that device maybe even in tandem with your desktop browser to give you a haptic experience while using even other devices. So I think it's not even just a matter of using it on those mobile devices directly, mm -hmm. but maybe using it as a haptic device that you already have. So it's essentially free at, to make the experience richer, even if you're using your desktop. So I think there's a number of ways we can go there. Uh, so this is Deborah Rue, and um, I, I, I'm a little tiny bit lost. So would it be okay if we just backed up? Because I know that we talked off air, mm -hmm. but can we just, I, I mean, because I'm like searching for image in the background. So could we just talk about what is the project about? How and, and I apologize if I'm being simple, but and also why it was important to David to get involved. But I just I know we're talking about haptics and objects and the internet, but I I just and I know we were talking about alt tag, Jeremy, but I'm just getting a little bit confused about the tool and what you you know. I apologize. Sure, and it's it's David. Thank you, Deborah. Um, this, the, the whole idea of the project sort of developed out of a conversation I had with Jeremy about four years ago, in which I had been at a large architectural design show here in Vancouver called Buildex. And it was myself, Jim Taggart, who is um, a blind instruct, instructor in architectural design, and Albert Ruel from uh, the Canadian Council of the Blind as their get together with Tech Guy. And we were going to the BC Convention Center, or the Vancouver Convention Center. And so I went online to just get an understanding of where the room was going to be that we were going to meet in. And of course, what I encountered, even though they, they commented on how accessible the venue is, um, the actual information was all graphical. So it was, um, I was just trying to understand, like, you know, how to find the room, you know, where were the washrooms and that sort of stuff. And, you know, that was not accessible. And it's, it's something that happens, I think, to everybody um, around the world who is blind on a daily basis. So when I sort of raised this with Jeremy, it was, you know, what can we do to sort of address this issue? So at some point, I can go on to 
uh, a website for a building or a shopping center or someplace I'm going. And if there is a map, how can that be accessible to me? And so that, that was really what initiated this whole conversation. And again, with that, I'll, I'll pass it back over to the image team who have, who have taken my, my complaints and attempted to develop a solution. Sand, do you want to give a description or should I give kind of a, a background on? Um, I, actually, I figured that uh, it probably would be best if we just, um, can I share my screen on this uh, Yes, platform? you should be able to. You should be able to, at the bottom of the uh, menu, there is a share option. Give me one second. Um, I don't think it's allowing me to do that. Uh, yeah, but just let me sort out the technical issues here. <laughs> While you're doing that, maybe I can just give kind of a nuts and bolts background to what image is from, from practical perspective. So if what? you go to our website, which is image.ally.mcgill.ca, um, you'll see at the top there, there's a download the image Chrome browser extension. So you, you fire up your Chrome browser, you install our extension. And what that's going to do is it's going to give you a new option on photographs. So if you go to a photograph and I use a mouse, so I right click, but the, every operating system has its own keyboard equivalent for bringing up a context menu on a photograph. You do that and you get a new uh, item there called get image rendering. And when you trigger that, it sends that photograph and some other information up to a server that we're running. And it goes through a couple of stages where uh, there's a stage that extracts information from it, identifies what objects are there. Um, if it's a map, it looks at where that is and queries some geographic databases to find out what streets are around and what points of interest are there. Um, and then it goes through another stage where it actually renders that spatialized audio and the haptic experiences. And then it returns that back to your browser where you can interact with it. And so for one photograph, you might actually get multiple renderings. You might get one that is focused on the objects in it. You might get another one that is just a text description of it. So all of these modules on our server kind of work together to create that experience. So from a nuts and bolts perspective, that's how you would actually interact with it. It's live now, um, so you can go there and give it a try uh, today. I will comment that our, our, our main server might be going down for some, some <laughs> updates in a few minutes, but it is up right now. So there might be a little glitch later, but I'll, I'll wave my hand at that. I was going to say, Jeff, why would you do that to me now? <laughs> <laughs> the on-site um, texts are coming from Dell, and they show up when they show up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, yes, I, I figured that it'd, it'd probably be best if I just walk you through a basic example. Um, so I've right now I'm just on our webpage because I know these these uh, these images work. By the way, um, and I'm, all I'm doing is I'm bringing up a context menu and I'm selecting Get Image Rendering on this photograph. Image request sent. Do you are you able to hear that? Processing data. Okay. Processing data. Processing data. 
image results arrive. So uh, um, on my screen over here is a um, is a pop up, and you can get just a, a text description of what our um, what the machine learning spits out. Um, and what's sort of uh, the 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 sort of cool part over here is you can get spatialized audio of the different components um, in the picture. So I'm just going to play the um, I'm going to play the, the the rendering. Um, the photo that I just ran it on is a picture of uh, my hometown, Toronto, Canada, um, and it's a specific. Uh, street interest. It's an intersection there. So I'm just going to play this. This outdoor photo contains the following outlines of regions, building, car, and Cigna bird. It also contains the following objects or people, six people, Two umbrellas, two traffic lights, four cars, a bus, and a backpack. So if you're wearing headphones like I am, you should be able to hear uh, the sound kind of sweeping left to right. Um, and some people are able to pick out sort of like the elevation of the uh, of the of the objects. Um, and if you can't, there's also, uh, it's reinforced by pitch as well. So that's kind of, um, so what we're trying to do is we're trying to create this sort of uh, non-textual sort of visceral uh, description of where things are so you can get kind of, so you can understand like the composition of elements in a photograph. I just want to jump in and comment that since Cyan is probably not hearing it through the system, it's not actually spatialized. So through this podcast um, um, system, I'm not actually hearing it in the locations. So um, it just sounds like it's coming through mono to me right here. So I would encourage um, people who are listening, if it's not spatialized in your head, go to our website and you can get these demos there either as recordings or install the extension and get them live. Right. And, you know, the other thing that would, because this, this was an example of the, of the spatial audio, um, but part of what, when I met Mike Gifford at the NFB um, convention in New Orleans was um, I was out front of where image was giving people from McGill were giving demonstrations of image, which also included our use of the dot uh, prototype tablet, which is the refreshable pen array that Jeremy referred to earlier. And so we were getting a lot of uh, people in interest uh, on that. But what also transpired, which uh, we found out at the conference, was that Humanware and um, American Printing House for the Blind are working with the dot prototype to create create a refreshable braille and graphic display that will be coming out in a year or two. So it, it was also um, very interesting that the that the haptic um, prototype, which is uh, made in South Korea, uh, was. Um, it, it looks like it, it may have a much larger life than, than what we initially thought with what was being done at McGill. Anyways, I, I will pass it back to the group now. Great comments, though. Those are very helpful, David. That's very helpful. So, so, yeah, go ahead, Antonio. So I'm, I'm very curious how this can be integrated on day-to-day -day life of people who use the internet. You know, when I'm navigating on, on Twitter 
when I'm going to LinkedIn, how can this be integrated within social apps? Right. Uh, just, from, just from the user perspective, um, you know, one of the things that we, we identified very early on in this um, project is that on many websites, about 80% of content is graphical. Um, and where there is alt text that's been put in there by people doing really good work, um, there is a level of understanding with that. But that is not always available. And also, it doesn't really give a, an ability to explore the information. It's more that the information is just being told to you. So for uh, things like graphics, so in the case of the image project, um, uh, the team has been looking at uh, the use of high charts. So it's, um, it's a format that provides the background information that the uh, system can then be set up to take that information and then provide it in a way to the user that they can explore that information in more detail. Um, an example is, is like with a, hot, with a, a pie chart of whether of it, um, for a sighted person, because at one time I was sighted, um, you could pick up information very quickly from a graphic like that. So part of this is to use spatial audio in providing that nuance that quickly provides you the information and comparison of size and so forth uh, done through spatial audio. Um, the, the other issue is, is with image in which it's accessing things like um, Google Maps, which has been largely not accessible, uh, the graphic itself. And the team here um, has used really clever um, engineering to, to make it accessible using image. And, and actually with that, because I'm not the expert on it, I'll pass it over to Jeff who can explain that a little bit. So it's funny because uh, for the photographs, uh, like like Cyan was demonstrating, right? We use machine learning that you know extracts the information and it detected umbrellas and things in the photograph and such. For maps, we decided to do a bit of an end run. So instead of taking a picture of the map, a JPEG or whatever, and trying to make sense of that, what we do is we try and divine the latitude and longitude of the center point of that map. And then we query additional databases um, on our server in order to figure out the street layout and what's around there so that we can render it. And that has a lot of benefits um, in terms of accuracy because we know exactly where it is if, if we can determine that. Um, so we, we try and be clever about how we use machine learning. That's not always the solution to the problem. And as David alluded to for charts as well, we use a, a format called high charts where we can get to the underlying data. And to expand on what David was saying for like a pie chart, there's really a, a difference, right? So you might, if you, through a screen reader, you might get a table of the data, right? But the information designer for that page chose not to show it necessarily as a table. They showed it as a pie chart because they wanted to emphasize certain aspects and relationships in the data. And that's where we go beyond just what a screen reader might do of just reading out the information to try and give you that same visceral experience of that pie chart by sonifying the, the, the sizes of the different wedges in, in a kind of a pattern around your head. Um, and last, before I shut up, um, Antonio, just uh, to speak directly to your social media comment, um, 
social media is like any other content to us. If there's a photograph there, you can right click it or get your context menu and you can send that up and get these kinds of experiences for that content as well. But one of the things that excites me for the future is maybe there are specific aspects of social media. And I know Jeremy hates this example, but I like to bring up the one of memes and such. What if we had a specialized module on the server that recognized those memes? And instead of just saying, this is a Rick Astley video, it actually gave you a customized experience of a Rick roll. Um, things like that. So I think there's a lot more that can be done there. But again, that's why we're a platform. So eventually, when we, if we get to scale, right, maybe Twitter decides they want to make a module for image or run image on their own site and create these experiences using the tools that we have. That would be part of the dream of the future of image. Excellent. So, so I think, Cyan, you wanted to just quickly demo the, the pie chart. If you want to share your screen again, we can now that I know how to do it. Yeah. Uh, also wanted to add that it'd be, uh, it'd be a very special uh, treat for me if someone were to make a, a meme handling, a meme handler, just saying. Um, yeah, so th uh, the nice thing about a pie chart is that uh, you're getting, um, what, for sighted people like us, we're getting sort of proportional data, right? And so uh, our sound designers have tried to sort of replicate the feeling of seeing a, all the proportional data in a pie chart. And I'm just going to play this for you. And you're going to hear different wedges as, uh, as a sound that plays proportional to, um, um, and the amount of time it takes for the sound to play is proportional to the slice of the wedge. So if you just listen in, um, I should, pro should have probably done that beforehand, but anyway. I'm not hearing it, unfortunately. Oh, you're not. So your sound was working before, but I'm not getting it now. Uh, let me try again. Share screen and oh, system audio. There we go. So yeah, um, let me. Image request sent. Okay. Image results arrived. Zero nine years, seven point five percent. Ten nineteen years, nine point nine percent. 2029 years, 16.8%. 3039 years, 16.7%. 4049 years, 16%. 5059 years, 12.6%. 6069 years, 7.4%. 77. But you can hear that the different wedges take. Different, different amounts of time, right? Um, and I think that's what's particularly cool about the uh, our our uh, our pie charts experience. And, and, and just also, to be, I, go ahead, I David, just, sorry, I, sorry, sorry, Jeff. I, I was also going to say that uh, you know if you're using uh, stereo headsets uh, and you're on on your um, extension, uh, you would get that also in, in spatial audio. So, um, anyways, uh, Jeff. Taking the words out of my mouth, David. Yeah, you be hearing that around your head and it creates a, a different experience, not just the timing of it, but the, the space around you as it's moving around your head. And just to be clear, what you were hearing there is that's um, COVID data um, for the number of COVID cases in different age groups. And to be clear, this is a live demo. So I'm watching our server now and I'm seeing these requests come in. This is not something canned where we had to create that manually. This is the actual Quebec COVID data website. They use the high charts format. We're actually sending sending that data up to our server and rendering that and sending it back in the one second or so that, that you, you saw that come back. 
Yeah. And and I, I would also add that we don't retain that information. <laughs> yeah, data privacy is very important to us. So we, we, we do the queries and then we get rid of that data. Um, for debugging, you can say we can keep it temporarily, but we don't know what's coming up, so. And, and, and I think that that transparency about data privacy is hugely important for the, you know a number of reasons that we, Antonio and I both work for a European company and we constantly have challenges where data is being sent outside of the EU or outside of the UK in my case. Um, so that transparency and, and the data retention policies and all of this kind of stuff um, make it possible for large organizations to green light the use of some of these tools because um, we know that, that people could benefit from these things but in, in an enterprise environment, if you can't document where the data is going um, or what the, the, you know, the privacy rules are or how it's processed, then the likelihood is that you, you will never get the, the, the tool allowed or uh, permitted in that environment. So, so, so kudos to you for, for having recognized that. Well, in, in fairness, it, I don't think the, the kudos are necessarily deserved in the sense that as academic researchers in a university, we have a research ethics board that has very strict requirements for what mm -hmm. we're allowed to do. And we have to go through all sorts of checks and safety you know, concerns there. And then there's the add-on when we make this available through the Google Play Store, Google has its own policies that are re related to data privacy that we have to respect as well. Um, now we're happy to follow those, don't get me wrong, but it, you know, I, I don't think we should take undeserved credit for, for doing so. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. So um, uh, this, this is a fascinating topic, and I, and I could carry on for ages. But unfortunately, we've reached the end of a sort of allotted half an hour. But I think that the, the what you're doing is, is is really interesting, and I think that I've already downloaded the plugin, and, and I will have a play with it in, in Chrome. Uh, oh, go on, Deborah. You you want to ask one more question? I'll. I'll uh, and, and as I went to unmute, I turned my camera off. But the last question I would like to ask, and thank you, Neil, uh, what can the community do to help y'all with this? What can we do to really get behind you? I mean, we have a, a powerful community that believes that I, I like what I'm seeing as we're really rethinking what accessibility means and really blending it into how do we really make sure David has real access? And so I like that you're engaging with our community. Bravo for that. But yeah, what's your ask? Come on, what's the ask? Uh, please download this extension, try it out, and let us know. Uh, communicate with us. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, uh, you know, there, we can design all sorts of tests and tools to evaluate how good this is, but uh, it's only as good as the as the feedback we get, really. Um, yeah, that's that's a big that one. I'd say that Cyan nailed it and realized that we consider this to be a beta. This is the beginning. So we've, we've gotten kind of the platform going. We have some experiences, but we know they're not broad enough. We know they're not deep enough. But what we really need is that feedback of what is stopping you from using it? Is it their user usability issue that you can't overcome? Is it the interface that we have? Is it that you don't we don't do the types of content you like? It, that's kind of opaque to us. So as Cyan said, that feedback, don't just try it and say, ah, not interesting for me and, and, and be done. Say, what was it that, that would have made it really compelling for you? 
Yeah, one and thing that uh, I think that happens a lot in usability is you come up with all sorts of tests and they're canned, right? They're very limited in what they can do. Um, the best thing to do is uh, is give it a, a, like put it into people's hands, you know, take it out into the, into places where people are using it, where, where real people, and not just you know, um, in, in, not just in the laboratory. And the clarity when you say people using it, are you talking about individuals that are blind and have vision loss? Or are you talking about designers that want to make sure that they're giving us graphics that work for people that are, but who, who, who is the they? And then I promised I'll go on mute before um, it kicks me off. <laughs> I, uh, from, from the person who's, who's connected with as, as a user, of course, my, my focus has always been with with uh, with the team is that this is only impactful if it makes sense to the users. Um, so we really need users to access it, uh, to give the feedback to the team on what's working, what's not working, uh, so so that they can apply all of their expertise and knowledge uh, to to get it to that point in which it really is impactful for the user. And from my own belief, if it's impactful to the user, then the rest will follow. Um, so. Great job, great job, everyone. Yeah, really, really interesting stuff. So thank you for sharing with us. Um, thank you to Mike Cleartex for helping keep us captioned and accessible all of this time. Also need to give a shout out and say thank you to those people that have already contributed to the Access Chat GoFundMe. If you haven't already, please do share this. Uh, what we will say also is that we don't want anyone in our community to put themselves in difficulty by contributing to what we do. Um, so this is not a please go fund us at any expense, but if you can share it and find people with deep pockets that wanna keep us on air, fantastic. So on that, I look forward to you joining us on Twitter for uh, what will be, I'm sure, a lively discussion. Can't wait. Thank you. Thanks for having us on, and we're looking forward to Tuesday. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>